Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the Happiness in, is Found in Doing workshop meeting. My name is Mary. I'm an abstinent compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off or in mute. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. The session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format for this session is as follows. We have two speakers. We don't have a third speaker. Each speaker is scheduled for 20 minutes, followed by questions and answers. Excuse me. Manoush, would you like to be able to speak for more than 20 minutes? Oh, yes. You can speak for more. Do you want to give a time? Uh, say, I know Lynn. How long do we have this? Well, you have 60 minutes for speaking. Oh, 60 minutes. So 30 minutes apiece? Well, thirty. can you speak 30 minutes? Probably. Okay. Do you want to speak 20, 25? 25. 25. Yeah. Okay, great. So we have 30 and 25. Thank you so much. Good, good. Thank you. Our first speaker is Lynn. And our second speaker is Manoush. All right, so the basket is being circulated for questions. They will be able to answer the questions after the session is over. All right, Lynn, let's welcome Lynn up to the podium. Thank you, Mary. I'm Lynn. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater and food addict. And, you know, I really identify with that term food addict because I know that I have used food as a tranquilizer since I was a little girl (laughs) to handle my emotions, to handle life. And I did bring some pictures. A sense of what it was like in a visual perspective. 
I can remember starting to use food when I was five years old after my parents' divorce and sneaking into the kitchen, getting things into things with jars and eating with a spoon. And it started from there. Food I never could eat in front of other people. My mother was very weight conscious. So we always had lots of healthy food and not too much of it. But it was a matter of feeling comfortable in my skin and being acceptable. And if I was overweight, I just wasn't. And active enough that I stayed relatively thin until I spent a summer with my father when I was 11. And he let me eat anything I wanted. Went out for lunch, and he'd encourage me to have dessert, which mother had never done. You know. And so when I came back after this summer vacation, I had put on 20 pounds. And mother was horrified. You know, hand on forehead, horrified. <laughs> and the battle began. And by the time I got in the seventh grade, and I know that she was doing it for my own good, you know, she said she'd had an experience of being overweight as a child and didn't want me to go through this. But the way I heard it was that I wasn't acceptable if I wasn't thin. And the way it played out in, in behavior were things like she took me to a pharmacist at that time and he gave me Dexedrine without a prescription in order to help me lose weight. Well, I did. I got lots of other things done, too. You know, you're whizzing around. (laughs) But it was always this battle, and it was over five pounds. It's amazing to me today that how suicidal I felt about five to ten pounds. Now, when I came in to OA, well, when I came back to OA six years ago, I weighed 233 pounds, and I'm five feet four inches tall. So... When I weighed in on June the 1st, because I weigh once a month, I weighed 119 pounds. So I lost almost half my body weight in the six years. So happiness is found in doing the topic of our workshop today? You bet. (laughs) You bet. And there's been so much more as well. Um, But that battle went on through high school and college. I can remember dating somebody, and I had gotten up to the, the... point was at 128 when I started to panic. When I weighed 128 pounds, then it was time to lose weight again, go on another diet. (sighs) So I got down to 125, and the brother of my boyfriend looked at me, and he said, Lynn, you look much better. He said, but, you know, another five pounds would be great. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) I had just, I had died over those three or four pounds I'd already lost, you know, and it was, again, this not being acceptable. Well, I went to college, did the same kind of thing, um, started to date somebody who was thin. And Levi's at this point, I think we've gotten the vanity sizing. I'm not sure because he had very slim hips and wore a size 30 waist Levi button jeans. And I hadn't, jeans weren't as popular then, but we were going to go to his grandparents where there were horses and I needed a pair of Levi's. And I decided that I had to have Levi's that were a size smaller than his. <laughs> so I bought size 29 Levi's, right? And I could get them buttoned with effort. They buttoned, right? Getting on a horse was an experience. <laughs> I had to find a tall rock in order to make the sleep. But it was that self-consciousness, you know, and always worrying about how I looked that, that just permeated my life. So we were married for about 10 years. And during that time, I got pregnant, and the controls came off my eating for the first time. And I gained 40 pounds, which I was able to take off, 
But I started to put it back on right away. It was like the controls weren't there any longer, and it was really scary for me. Um, I started going to one of the commercial weight loss programs, and when I weighed in, I weighed 137 pounds, and they said, you're at goal weight. We can't do anything for you. It was like, wait a minute. You know, I'm about to throw myself off a bridge. What do you mean I'm at goal weight? You know, I said, can't do anything for you. Well, we moved not long after that, and I saw one of those articles in Ann Landers, you know, do you have a problem with eating? And it had all of the questions and, and talked about Overeaters Anonymous. So I went to a meeting. I had to drive half an hour. We lived in the San Joaquin Valley then, and I had to drive half an hour to find a meeting. But I went, and I really did feel like I'd come home. I was finally with people who understood how I felt. Um, started with a sponsor that very first day, and she's started me on the steps, but she also told me, she said, Lynn, you also can't drink. You know, you're going to eat this way. And she gave me a food plan, which is very much like the one that I follow today. And she's, and in addition, you can't drink. And it was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and so by the time I got to the fourth step, I realized that I had another problem and I also needed another program to support this. That the reason that my weight had stayed within reasonable boundaries was that I had a dual addiction working. And without either one of them, I was, ha I was in trouble. Um, but I was able to do that. And I followed the OA plan for about 10 years. And during that time, I did get a divorce after a year when I had some clarity and realized that I had just made a mistake here. And I did get a divorce. It was one of the most painful things I did because we did have a son involved. Um, but I stayed abstinent. And there were some difficulties. I had difficulties and I was struggling because one of the things that happened in the 80s was, um, well, in addition to remarrying, which was delightful, someone I'm married to now and we've been married 30-some plus years, um, I had been in OA about six years when we remarried. And during that time, OA started what I call the food plan wars, you know, where they were throwing out the food plans. And I had difficulty with that because I think I was such a people pleaser and I was so much into doing things right that I wanted to follow what was current at the day, you know, what you were supposed to do. And that was moderate meals. And there were all of these other books about weight loss that I was still reading, advising that you should be able to sit at a table and just eat whatever you want, but in small amounts and stop when you're full. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> Stop when you're full, excuse me. <laughs> and I also found that, you know, certain foods were triggers for me, so that full just didn't happen with certain things. But I wasn't able to stay within myself enough and be true enough to myself to do what was right for me. And so I started to gain weight. And I started to think, this, there's no answer for me. I couldn't hear answers any longer. And I left. Now, I've been active enough in OA and met lots of people since I've been back that um, I know people who made it through the food plan wars abstinent, you know, and found a way that there are lots of ways. This was, this was on me, not on what was going on. But I did go away. And amazing how 20 years can just sort of slip away. And during that time, I gained... Well, almost 100, well, 100 pounds. Let's just say 100 pounds. And I w had just given up. 
by that time because in those 20 years, I had tried a variety of things, you know, gone to a commercial weight loss program a couple of times, been to doctors, gone through a health program. It was just and I and the library of books, you know, of all the different things and the ways to try it. And I got so I couldn't stay on a diet until noon. I just couldn't do it within me. The, the reserves weren't there. And I finally got to the point of just saying, I'm not going to try. Because as soon as I thought the word diet, I gained five pounds. And it, it just sort of crept up. Well, so what changed? What was the difference? A couple of things. One of them is I got a new doctor because I thought that um, I was skating on the health issues because my cholesterol was okay, glucose was okay, you know, blood pressure was reasonably was okay. And so the lectures that the doctors normally give you were short-circuited because they couldn't come up with any really good reason other than, you know, you're fat to tell me that I should lose weight. Well, I finally got a new doctor, and he looked at me sitting there at all of 230 pounds and said, you know, Lynn, you really ought to lose some weight. And I said, I can't. I can't. You know, and I told him, you know, go on a diet, gain five pounds. I've tried. I can't. He said, well, just don't gain any more. (laughs) <laughs> if I knew how to do that, you know. <laughs> so, but it started my mind thinking. And one of the things that started to think about was the future. Because I was 62 years old then, something like that, 63. And I was looking at this future. And it wasn't looking pretty. Because I could see the numbers were starting to creep up to start to get in that danger zone. And I could just picture myself being big enough so that I'd have to be moved around in a wheelchair or if I got sick or hurt or something, that it would be very difficult for people to care for me. And I have a husband who loves me. And and I've thought over time that if gaining weight was going to be a test of whether he would love me fat or thin, he passed. (laughs) 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 So that was no longer an issue. Um, But the future was not looking good. And I've heard since then a speaker said that in order to really hit bottom to be ready for this program, we have to hit bottom in all three time zones, past, present, and future. You know, and for me that was true. You know, the past I could look back on and say, yes, I may have lost weight occasionally, but it never stayed off. So there was nothing successful in the past that I could look for. The present was a disaster as far as that was concerned. And I had, and the future, ah, You know, that certainly looked grim. So I was at bottom in all three time zones. And I started to look around me. And I started to notice, instead of looking for people who were bigger than I was, which had always made me feel good, you know, oh, yes, well, I'm not as bad as they are, you know. And I started to not look at them. I started to look at the people who were actually losing weight. And there were some of those around in my life in various ways, you know, riding bicycles. I had to travel to Singapore for business. There was a woman there who started to eat like the people there eat and walk because of public transportation, you know, instead of driving. And she had lost 40 pounds and was like, okay, Lynn, you have a reasonably healthy body. There's no good reason why you can't lose weight. Maybe, maybe, and I'd been working the 12 steps all this time, by the way. You know, maybe the insanity is not that you can't lose weight. The insanity is your belief that you can't lose weight. The belief. So I hung on to that. You know, it was another little, the door opening a little bit further and, and further. 
The other thing is I went to to meet some half-sisters that I hadn't known before, and I had to go meet them at this 230 pounds. The, The picture that's circulating, you'll see me by a lake. And that was, you know, at my heaviest, I had to go meet people that I would like to be able to impress, right? And there's no, you can't fix this because I didn't have very much warning. You know, it was like, there's no way you undo this. I have to show up. And they just loved me. I was introduced as their sister and we had a beautiful time together, sort of a family reunion. And I felt acceptable. And I finally felt it inside me that it didn't matter fat or thin. I was still lovable and I was acceptable. And somehow that feeling lovable and acceptable no matter what opened the door to change. Rather than staying stuck, what it did was gave me the freedom to change. The other sort of epiphany I had one day was I thought to myself, Lynn, what if you're not a fat person? What if you're a thin person behaving like a fat person? And that was an important distinction for me. And now I've really come to believe that nobody is a fat person. We just have learned fat behaviors and how to cope with life. That's what I was doing, how to cope with life using food as this tranquilizer. So also at this point, my cousin called, and he had been in OA for 30 years. And he just proudly, and he's chipper. He's one of these really cheery, lovely young men. And he'd say, Lynn, my wife and daughter have just joined OA. And I'm thinking, you know, swell. (laughs) Great. And I thought, all right, Lynn, you believe in the 12 steps. You know you need to find a solution to this. Why don't you go back? Why don't you go see if you, you know, things have changed or you've changed. Why don't you just show up? So I looked um, online, and what I found was that the OA Regional Convention, like the one that we're at today, was going to be in San Jose in three weeks. So I registered, and I went. And the first workshop of the day, very much our time slot here, was the 100-pounder workshop. and was like, oh, I belong. I don't like it, but I belong. So I went, and I sat in the front row, and it was a big room, and... What I've found is you can hide in the front row actually more easily than in the back row <laughs> because you can't see anybody, you know. You're just sort of just you and the speaker, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I thought I was going to be fine. I wanted to be anonymous, right? But after the speaker, and I heard two, and it was the first time I'd ever heard of OA90 that morning, and there was a regular OA speaker, what I'll call regular OA, and they both had found solutions, um, and I thought that was terrific. Well, after the speakers had talked, I got up and the meeting's breaking up and I turned around and I looked and way in the back of the room was a woman who worked for the same company that I was. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, well, so much for anonymity. But it turned out to be a real blessing because in time, you know, we could have lunch together and, and share stories. And she was in, in OA90. So I stayed all day and I heard lots of speakers that had recovered in a variety of ways. And I thought, all right, I think this is what God wants me to do. And as I'm walking to my car, I'm having this internal dialogue with God and saying, okay, I got in trouble with the food plan before. What is it you want me to do? How am I supposed to eat? And I heard clearly no sugar and no flour. And it was okay. And I just surrendered. It was fine. No sugar. And I haven't had any since. That was uh, six years ago, July 1st. Um, and I went, started going to OA90 meetings. And first of all, how many people here have been to an OA90 meeting? 
Okay, most everybody, but not everybody. So where OA90 comes from, then part of the, not comes from Boston, but when you hear the name OA90, what it generally refers to is they suggest that people don't talk in front of a meeting or share until they have 90 days of abstinence. And for someone like me who loves to talk, you know, at first I thought that was going to be a restriction, but it really wasn't. There was freedom in that because I could just relax. I didn't have to prove myself. I didn't have to, you know, show that I was smart or, you know, understood the program or anything. I could just relax and and work on my absence and get to know people. And it was it was it was freedom in it. And of course, they the OA ninety also doesn't have a published food plan. You get it from your sponsor. So I did get a sponsor and a food plan. And within OA ninety, there are um, varieties. There are um, different ways of doing it. You know, some people, many people weigh and measure all their meals when they, even when they go out to eat. That's not something that I do. I weigh and measure at home and, uh, and eyeball it when I out. Some people don't eat um, spices or drink caffeine and things like that. Others, that's fine. So there aren't any hard and fast, you know, this is OA90. The main thing that I see, the bottom line, is the no sugar, no flour, and weighing and measuring our food. And for me, that was critical. That fits for me. You know, that's my solution. You'll hear others in this convention, and that's great. For me, it was just focusing on what worked, and this works for me. And I loved hearing all of the success. Because everybody who got up, they might be having trouble in their life. They might be going through layoffs, which I ended up having to do, traveling and doing all of these things. But they're abstinent. And so they're talking about how to learn to live an abstinent life. And that's what I needed to learn how to do. It's just been a blessing. Um, And I was committed no matter what. And the first three weeks, because OA90 Food Plan has lots of food. It's wonderful. It's healthy. My body just says thank you every time I eat. Um, But I was hungry. I was starving. Not hungry. I was starving periodically in those first three weeks because I was putting boundaries around my food. I was used to eating whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. (laughs) And all of a sudden I was saying, this is lunch. And, you know, and that's it, you know. But what I held on to was I was hearing the success stories. People were doing this, and they weren't dying. You know, <laughs> Darfur was very much in the news that the, then, and I realized that you know between noon and five, I was not going to starve. You know, <laughs> so you know, I was, but I was going to do this, and and I thought, well, you know, at, at my age or whatever, how am I going to lose all this weight? And my friend who had been in the room, she said, Lynn, you continue to eat like this, and that weight's coming off. And it did. I didn't even exercise particularly. You know, I, now I exercise, but I didn't particularly then. It just does. Um, all of this good, healthy food. And I had to travel, and I had things come up. Two months into my absence, my um, stepdaughter's wedding came up. And so we traveled to that. And there was a um, rehearsal dinner where food was being served that I couldn't eat. I mean, nothing, nada. But I knew in advance that was going to happen, and so I planned for it. And as soon as it was, it was over, my husband and I went out to dinner. Fine. You know, so it's a little bit later. The world is not in. Nobody really cares what I eat. You know, I just had to take care of myself. And a month later, we went to Ireland for uh, two weeks. And I prepared going over on the plane. That was easy. And it was nonstop flight, you know, about 13 hours. That was fine. We um, certainly had hotels and at 
points. We had a condo where we lived so I could shop. And I took care of myself. All was going well. We had a couple of uh, cities overnight before we came back. And I wasn't able to get food for the return plane flight. And I had been so giddy about being absent and doing all this. I thought, well, this will be fine. So we had breakfast before we got on the plane. And then I realized, I mean, I'm on this plane, right, (laughs) about the size of our room (laughs) for 13 hours. And there wasn't anything I could eat. Nothing. I was, needless to say, I was hungry, you know, by the time we were getting ready to land and whatever. But again, I decided I've been absent all this time. My 90 days is coming up, you know, like in a week. I'm not blowing it for this. I don't care. And again, Darfur, I'm not going to (laughs) starve. I'm not dying because I'm hungry. Hunger's not going to kill me. And so I just got through it. And it really gave me strength for later on. So, and my husband was so cute. We got back into the San Francisco airport, dropped off his father and sister who'd gone with us. And he just looked at me and he said, well, what would you like to do now? I said, eat. (laughs) We're finding a restaurant, you know. (laughs) So no matter what, really helped, really helped that whole time. And then working the steps were major because I had worked them in the past. But what I found was greater clarity. You know, being abstinent um, and being willing to be open to what was going on. And I found out several really important things. One of them happened in the fifth step. And I was talking to my sponsor. I had gone through my list. As you might be able to tell, I'm thorough. You know, I liked, I'd done this. I'd, I went on retreat to Villa Del Mar for a weekend and gave myself a personal retreat to do my fourth step just by myself because I wanted to do a good job. And so I'm giving my fifth step to my sponsor, and, and so I go through the whole list, and she said, is that everything? And she said, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I've got everything that I know, at least for now. And she said, well, then, she said, there's one more that I might add to that, one, of the char- one more character defect. And I said, well, what? She said, perfectionism? <laughs> I was like, me? <laughs> what? <laughs> me? But I I started to think about my life and all the things and how pervasive that was. You know, always looking for the perfect answer, the quest that I would go on to find just exactly the right, whether it be wallpaper or dress or, you know, husband or whatever it was, the perfect one. So, yes, I had to own that perfectionism was mine. And another thing that had... um, been major was some guilt I was carrying about decisions I'd made around my son during that divorce in 1978. And so we had talked about it. And I thought I had, I tried to deal with it over the years. And but it was still there. And she said, Lynn, she said, I think there's a statute of limitations on guilt. I just love that. And and the other thing she said, she said, the other thing is when you're imagining what might have been if you'd made other decisions, what you're imagining are all the good things that could have happened. You know, you have this, this rosy picture of what might have been. She said, that might not have been the way it gone. Everything that you feared may have happened and worse. She said, you can't know that. So how can you, you know, continue to torture yourself over things that's not possible to know so I just relaxed I finally let it go and it's been such a relief 
And it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been willing to do the footwork. That's in the happiness is doing. You know, I had to be willing to go through the pain of really looking at it and, and admitting what was going on. And I, so even today, I love that idea of my job is just to identify, share, and then release. You know, turn it over to God. And the other revelation that's come is that I'm really not responsible for fixing myself. Because I'd always wanted to do that. You know, show me what I should do better. You know, I can, the perfectionist, maybe. All right. (laughs) And I really got step six and seven. That's God's job. All I have to do is identify and share and be willing to release and turn it over. And then things happen and things change. And I can have that freedom and joy. I relied on the literature a lot. Those first few months, I read New Beginnings the OA book with all the stories of people that have come back from relapse, I read a story nearly every night. And it really helped me to hold on to it. It was like having a meeting with me constantly. The fellowship has been major for me. I really belonged. I think often when I joined groups in the past, I stayed on the periphery emotionally so that I was always close to the door. You know, if this doesn't work out, I can leave. You know, I have my exit strategy. I don't have an exit strategy from OA. You know, I'm here. I'm a member. That's it. You know, I'm going to jump in. And and service has been a godsend, not only at the group level, but then I started to serve at intergroup and served as chair and was a regional delegate and then went to, to world service. Mary was my roommate two years ago and served on the literature committee and met people from all over the world and had this sense of the commitment of so many people to making our solution available to other people that will be there to reach out the hand, the still-suffering compulsive overeater. It is such a joy. And that's part of the happiness that comes from doing. I've been working on deepening my relationship with this higher power, both from the daily meditation, from turning more things over, and asking for guidance more often. You know, when I, I think about steps 3 and 11, It really comes down to, though, how often really am I asking for guidance? That shows that closeness. How often? And so now I'm trying to do it even in the little stuff. And it works. It works. You know, you find this out. It's in the doing. I'll tell you about how little. Because looking for the perfect thing, I'll have these giant to-do lists. And I'll start off to do them. And then I'll see something else that might not have been on the list, but that also needs doing. So I had this giant list. I start, I was in a drugstore, and I saw these plastic containers that I'd been thinking about rearranging my scarves in. So I started to look through them and get the right size and all of this. And I finally just stopped. And I just said, God, is this the best use of my time right now? And it was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> go back to what you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, it makes my life go so much more smoothly when I just ask. And also, today's uh, Voices of Recovery reading had to do with the serenity prayer, which has just been a mainstay for me. It's become part of the way that I think. Um, and I have a short version of the serenity prayer. It's, oh, well. <laughs> And that has gotten me through more things because if I forget to do something or don't do it quite as well as it should or somebody else doesn't do it quite so well, it's sort of like, oh, well, (laughs) just pick up the pieces, you know. And I have an expression that I really like is if time and money can fix it, it's not that important. Just not. 
you know, and again, less stress in life. I can just sort of float through. A couple other things I wanted to share. Well, step 10, of course, staying clear, that I wanted to share that have been helpful in my recovery is early on I heard Dr. Dina Dill um, on the evening news, and he was sharing MRIs of a cocaine addict and a compulsive overeater after they had both indulged in their drug of choice. And their brain scans were almost identical, almost identical. And I really got that my brain had learned that food was a solution. When I had unpleasant emotions or even ones I just wanted to keep in check, whatever, good, bad, whatever, my brain saw food as a solution. And what I needed to do was retrain my brain. So a lot of the step work and the things I was learning from other people was giving my brain other solutions. So if a craving would come up, which it certainly has in the last six years, or something would intrigue me from afar, or a smell would attract me, it's sort of like, okay, that's just your brain remembering an old solution or an old way of doing things. I don't have to act on it. I don't have to act on it. I can just learn new ways to behave. And it's taken the pressure off. And also replacement thoughts. Someone has said that I can't stop the thoughts from going over my head. I can stop them from nesting in my hair. And that's been really important. Not to put so much weight on thoughts. They're just thoughts. They're just feelings. They'll go away. So pick a different one. You know, do something else and just live in this life. Um, And it comes back to the serenity prayer. And, being, and seeing that what I can change are, is my way of thinking, what I'm doing at the moment, and leaving the rest to God. And staying out of other people's lives, of course, that's been a big one. Not giving unsolicited advice. But I, trying to live a life based on the serenity prayer and the principles of this program has given me freedom and joy, a way of life I treasure and one that I'm internally grateful for. Happiness does indeed come from doing. Thank you. Did you sign it? I did. It's oh, in front of me. Oh, okay. Did I you sign it? Uh, I didn't sign it. Uh, is this what? Oh, I should sign different paper. No, she needs to sign this one. Yeah, underneath. Just under oh. Mary's name. Our second speaker will be Mernish. Marnoosh, thank you for correcting me. We have two speakers today, as you can see. So Lynn spoke for 30 minutes, and Marnoosh will speak for 25. Please welcome Marnoosh. Thank you. Hi, I'm Marnoosh. Um, uh, hi, I'm Marnoosh. I'm a food addict. Hi. Um, Sorry, I was a few minutes late. I was driving my car. I noticed uh, the tire showing uh, low pressure. So I thought, I don't want to drive from San Jose to here with low pressure tire. So I went back, uh, exchanged the car with my husband, coming back. So sorry for the uh, delay. But uh, I'm so glad I made it, uh, especially... um, Yesterday, it was my seventh... uh, anniversary of uh, OA and uh, also six years uh, 
of uh, maintaining my weight uh, in July 2008. So uh, that's amazing. And uh, I said that's the best way to celebrate, um, you know, speaking at convention, um, talking about my recovery. Uh, well, um, uh, I remember when I was four years old, uh, I... Um, was thinking about food because that was the time my uh, mom had my sister. So jealousy was there. And of course, food was my choice of dealing with my emotions. And uh, I remember uh, my mom always saying, you know, when I had your sister, you started to eat a lot. And I could not get it. Okay, so what? And uh, now being in OA, oh yeah, jealousy, emotions, and eating more, uh, you know, too much. And um, I remember when I was like uh, four and a half, five years old, uh, I was uh, stealing my sister's bottle and going under the uh, dinner table drinking from the bottle and oh, it was just crazy and um, so that was the way I was dealing with my emotions and, uh, and then later on I remember I went to um, you know we went traveling uh, I'm, by the way I'm from Iran Persia and uh, when I was 18 I came to United States and I'm 47 now <laughs> and um, then um, I remember uh, we went to a restaurant with my um, cousin and at that time I was maybe 10 12 years old and uh, we ordered food. My cousin, uh, who is a tall guy, and uh, he, he is very active. And um, so he ordered two entrees. And I told my mom, Mom, I want two entrees. One is not enough. And she said, you're a girl. You don't eat that much. And I said, okay, Mom. So at that time, I started to eat in hiding. So I don't get the uh, criticized from my mom and uh, then uh, later on um, I got married at age 20 and then um, I, I was here and then my husband had his job and uh, he he had his business so he was very busy when he came he was always um, thinking worry about the uh, job about the work and so I felt very lonely and that was the reason I was always at the restaurant eating out and I loved those restaurants they were serving big portions and uh, oh boy and uh, I started to eat started uh, to gain weight and my husband kept telling me you know as long as you are healthy I don't care what's your weight okay no problem so I started eating, eating, gaining weight, gaining weight. And people say, are you pregnant? No, I'm just fat. Okay, let me go. And uh, so uh, that was the time. And of course, my parents saw me after a few years and they said, oh my gosh, you look terrible, lose the weight. And my mom always was telling me, you are fat, lose weight fat, lose weight, fat, lose weight. Because I'm fat, I'm trying to lose weight. It is hard. I'm suffering. I don't want you to suffer. You know, it was coming from um, good heart, she was telling me, but it did not work. And uh, so um, I started to gain weight and then I tried to get pregnant. I um, 
I got pregnant. I had a miscarriage. And uh, then later on, I got pregnant. And this time, I had a premature baby. And um, I got also gestational diabetes during my pregnancies. And uh, then uh, it was uh, also after four years, I had my son. I had my daughter and again, gestational diabetes. And uh, thank God my son survived the premature uh, birth and everything went fine. And then um, with my daughter, um, when I had the baby at the labor, uh, my um, uh gynecologist told me, you know what, uh, you can have your sweets now because uh, gestational diabetes is only during pregnancy and you can eat whatever you want. Oh, you don't need to tell me. And uh, <laughs> oh boy, I started eating. And of course, my mom was helping me and I was breastfeeding. I was hungry all the time. And my mom tried to help me, you know, to get back to my regular weight and, you know, so at least lose the weight. And so I started to eat in hiding. I went out, yeah, mom, I'm going grocery shopping and going to Safeway, buying, uh, I don't know, it's a curse or blessing, but I don't like sweets that much, but I love meals. I mean, I'm a meat and potato person. <laughs> and uh, so I went there going to Delhi. Oh yeah, give me that fried thing. And I love fried stuff. And uh, for example, my choice of uh, snack was always salty, crunchy stuff. And uh, so I was getting those and eating, eating. And my mom said, huh, you know, I'm giving you enough food, but you keep gaining weight. And, okay, I'm eating in hiding. <laughs> and uh, so um, I also started gaining weight after pregnancy because during my pregnancy with gestational diabetes, thank God, I uh, was under control of uh, diet and um, also I had a dietitian helping me. So I did not gain too much. But, um, you know, after I had the baby, I started to gain real bad weight. And uh, so um, I was so worried, but I could not uh, do any diets. And uh, I tried Jenny Craig, I tried Diet Center, I tried um, Weight Watchers, I tried um, Tops, Take Off Pounds Sensibly. And uh, also I got those Susan Summers, uh, the um, weight loss uh, book. I lost like 10 pounds, 9 pounds, uh, but I gained it back plus more. The, I went to Jenny Craig and I lost uh, 35 pounds. I gained it back plus more. I went to Diet Center, lost 25 pounds, gained it uh, gain the weight plus more. And um, of course, I got to the point that my husband got really mad and said, you know, our son is gaining weight because of you. You are eating too much. He's learning it from you. And uh, he's eating too much and uh, lose the weight. And he, he always told me, you know, um, you know, you have a report card. Everything is A plus, but the biggest F is being fat. So <laughs> that didn't help me. I was just eating, 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 eating. And um, every time I wanted to lose, uh, lose weight and be on a, a diet, for half a day I did it and I said, oh, I cannot do it. I, ju I just try to accept myself being a fat, beautiful woman. And of course, 
I could not accept myself. And I was thinking, you know, under all of those fat, there is a thin person, and that's me. But I could not do anything. And after a while, I thought, you know, something is not right here. Because I went to San Jose State University. I took um, some classes regarding nutrition. I always read articles about how to lose weight, how to be healthy, how this is bad for you, this is good for you. But I could not follow it. And uh, I called uh, one of my friends who's therapist, and I asked her, uh, you know, I feel something is wrong with me. I don't know what, but I have all the knowledge. I know this is bad for me. I know I need to lose weight, but I cannot do it. I don't understand. And uh, she said, yep, uh, you need to see a therapist. And she said, well, I don't see close friends, but I said, oh no, I don't want to come to you, but uh, I want to see someone I don't know. So she recommended some uh, therapist. I went to see her for six months. I saw her. She uh, she put the seed of spirituality in my mind because she was into consciousness, uh, yoga, meditation, all of those. But unfortunately, she could not help me with losing weight. And then after a few months, I noticed, oh, two of my friends, they joined OA 90 Day and they were losing weight. And uh, I noticed, oh, something good is happening. So... Actually, it was on. Um, it was in May two thousand seven. Um, I joined OA ninety day, and they said uh, I'm a food addict. And I said um, this is not for me. I'm not a food addict. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the room was with dark green paint, and I said this is a dark room with depressed people. I'm not one of them, and all of this. Mm-hmm. And then after a few weeks, I'm invited to a wedding. I go to Macy's, try different dresses, nothing fits. With big tummy, big behind, nothing fits. And I start crying. And uh, I say, okay, for so many years I have been fat, tried, uh, whenever I'm invited to a wedding, everybody's happy, I'm upset going there. And so uh, I went to, how many more minutes? Okay. And uh, then... um, in 10 minutes, I end up in food court, eating fried food, bad food. And I said, oh, my gosh, In 10, min- 10 minutes ago, you were crying. You are fat. Nothing fits you. What's going on? You're eating. And, and then that time it hit me. And, oh, the other motivation was my diabetes. I got those blood sugar machines, and I uh, had fast food with... Um, uh, sugary drinks, and I noticed my blood sugar was 239 after 90 minutes after that meal, and that scared me because in my father's side they have diabetes. My uh, cousin, who was 48 years old, died of diabetes, and of course he wasn't taking care of her uh, himself, and I can say he was alcoholic. So, but that scared me because my uncle and my uh, father, they were deciding when to turn off the life support. And I said, you know what? I don't want my family to go through that. And my children, my husband, my mom, my father. And I said, okay, I need to do something about it. And I was watching this college TV and it says there are 
three Fs for you are at high risk of diabetes. Uh, being fat, 40 and over, and it's in your family. And they say, oh my gosh, <laughs> I qualify for all of these three. So at age 40, I started uh, coming to OA 90 day and this one crawling back. And I was ready for it. I remember I went to OA 90 day and the same meeting that I said, everybody's depressed and they are food addict. I'm not one of them, but I went there and uh Nobody raised their hand to be a sponsor, but I approached a lady, can you be my sponsor? And she said, yes, are you willing to call me at 6.15 in the morning? And I said, well, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then I was thinking, oh, OE 90 days says no sugar, no flour, three uh, weighed and measured food. And oh boy, but you know, I was so willing to do that. And of course, the first priority... Uh, for my motivation was going to that wedding in smaller size. So I started that, uh, you know, OA 90 day and uh, she was helping me every morning. I called her at 6.15 in the morning talking to her and I was so excited. I did the uh, um, meditation at that time. I wasn't sure how to do it, but uh, I did my prayers. I read from literature books. I uh, wrote, and especially the therapist I was seeing, uh, she helped me. You need to write. You need to write. But for six months, I did not write. And when I started the program, I started writing. And uh, also, uh, I did outreach calls, but most of the outreach call, it was to my friends. I thought, oh, the other people are strangers. I, I have nothing to say. And uh, then uh, actually it started to calling others when um, I had a thyroid problem. It was overactive. With overactive thyroid, people lose weight. That did not happen to me. Other symptoms, I got it. It was terrible. But not losing weight and say, oh boy, I should, uh, I should have eaten too much that even that disease, uh, that illness doesn't help me to lose weight. And uh, so um, for one week, they, um, they use the uh, radioactive iodine. So for one week, I could not see anybody. I stayed at my parents' apartment. They were out of country. So I stayed in their uh, apartment and that was the time I started to do outreach call because this disease, disease of isolation. And, um, but I stayed abstinent through it. So for one week, I could not see anybody, but I, I was calling my friends, my uh, outreach calls, my um, you know sister, my, my husband, and that helped me stay abstinent. And um, also... Um, uh, with this program, I stayed absent through surgeries, weddings, uh, birthday parties, any party, big event. Um, I, I'm traveling, staying abstinent, and uh, also funerals. Uh, I'm abstinent, and the only, um, uh, you know, I have my backup food with me. Whenever I go somewhere, I have my uh 
scale, food scale with me all the time. And when I go to weddings, I have a gift bag, looks like gift bag. So I put my extra food and, you know, backup food with me in case they don't serve abstinent food. I have my food. I travel to Iran um, and it, it was like 24 hours uh, um, flight because you go there, you stay in another country, and then you go to Iran. But I had my abstinent food with me. And, uh, of course, in the airplane, they were serving their food. And I just wonder, what's in there? I want to try it. I said, no, you have your abstinent food. And actually, before that, whenever I uh, was going to Iran, I ate all of those stuff. I always got stomach ache and uh, upset stomach. And, you know, I had my abstinent food. Everything was good. I had a great uh, flight and uh, no more stomach problems. <laughs> so that was good. And um, also the other thing I want to mention is uh, <clears throat> that was interesting. Like... Um, Five, six months ago, um, I was thinking to leave the program. And I said, I don't need a sponsor. I can do it. But at that time, I got so busy and my priority was something else. My children, I'm involved in my community. I got, you said, you know, I stayed abstinent for so long and I maintained my weight. And by the way, the uh, Day one after my last relapse was April 25th, 2008. And I said, you know, I don't need the program. I cannot go to the meeting. It's just too much for me. And uh, But, you know, I'm good. I'm fine. And, of course, that pride was coming up, uh, one of my character defects. And then uh, finally I had the courage to tell my sponsor that this is uh, what I'm thinking and that scares me. And she asked me, are you doing your tools, steps? I said, no, I'm not doing them. And um, so, and before that, for me, it was very important to go to three meetings per week because um, I felt, okay, this is disease of isolation. I love to stay uh, alone and not to involve with anybody. And uh, so I thought, okay, I better go back to meetings because that's the way I am connecting with human power, going to meetings, doing outreach call. And uh, so I started to do that. And my sponsor asked me, I want you to do your meditation today. And I started to do that. What a big change. I mean, after that, when I talked to my sponsor after that, I wanted to go to meetings. I was so excited. Yeah, I'll go and see these people. So, wow, something is going on in my mind or in my heart maybe. And so I'm so glad I did not leave the program. And I'm so grateful. And the interesting part after that, people calling me, can you be speaker at our meeting? I said, whoa, okay, I want to stay in the program. And that's wonderful. And they asked me to be a speaker at convention. I said, yes, I'll do that. And um, so uh, the tools, it helped me. Uh, I know to be abstinent. I'm not doing them perfectly because this program is program of progress, not perfection. Is uh, making three outreach calls daily. Writing, my writing is writing a letter to my higher power. And uh, reading, um, 
reading my literature books, the um, daily meditation books for today, Voices of Recovery for me. It's Hazel Dunn uh, publishing also uh, Food for Thought is my favorite. And uh, big book. And I go to meetings per, uh, three per week in case I can't go to one of them. I do my uh, phone meeting. And uh, I call my sponsor on the days and times uh we coordinated so i do that and services uh i do uh, services i did services most of the time on meeting level and then uh i'm the treasurer for uh silicon valley intergroup um uh and this is my second year and uh also steps uh, as they say the uh, step one to three is giving up steps and then four to nine is cleaning up steps and um, also the growing up uh, steps are steps 10 11 and 12 and uh, I do my steps 10 and 11 for sure daily because I need to be centered and when I'm centered whatever life brings to me I can handle it and if I don't meditate and prayer, I notice my serenity is very shaky. And whatever life, oh, no, this person must do this. Oh, no, 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 I should have done this. Oh, I planned this. It didn't go as I planned. And then I said, okay, calm down. Just remember your higher power. Your God of understanding is there to taking care of everything. So uh, this is wonderful. And this morning, for example, I got that, um, you know, low pressure. I just wanted to go crazy and say, okay, calm down. This is a program of uh, spirituality. You get there on time. Don't worry. And uh, I just started to connect with my heart. And thank God in the morning I did my prayer and meditation. So I was centered instead of going crazy. And, uh, you know, oh, no, no, poor me, something happened. You know, I just accepted the situation, the circumstances, and, uh, you know, and I got here. And uh, also, 10th um, step, I do it daily. It helped me. Oh, you know, there is a resentment. There is an anger. There is something. And even the good stuff, you know. And it helps me um, to take uh, to take care of it and um so i feel much better when i do my 10 step at night sometimes in the morning it helps oh okay and um also 12 step which is carrying the message doing the service uh i'm doing that part that was interesting my therapist who's the teacher in one of those private university uh two weeks ago i went there with another oa member and uh, she's in other 12 step and we talked about 12 step and that was great and we spoke about uh, you know our recovery and all of the students they are trying to be counselors so uh, my therapist asked me talk about uh, so she can talk and the other lady can talk about AA and MA uh, and then um, the interesting part they were all interested about OA losing weight for themselves and they said uh Okay, interesting experience. So I really enjoyed doing that public information. That was wonderful experience. And um, so um, they asked me 
uh, to talk about happiness is found in doing. Yes, it is. I need to take the action. I cannot just think about it, do nothing, and say, okay, my higher power will take care of it. No, I need to do my action. And then, you know, I can learn from my action. If it's the right one, great, I repeat that again. And if it's the wrong one, okay, I learn from that experience. I do not repeat that. And this program is a blessing in my life. And uh, my husband can see the change, and uh, I'm so glad. I made it to this convention, and I was asked to be speaker. And thank you for letting me share. Thanks. You now have an opportunity to come up here. No, you don't. I'm sorry. I forgot. Okay. Um, everybody's done with the questions? Okay. We'll have a chance now for each speaker to answer some questions. Yes, you have to answer at the mic. first question was more on the statute of limitations on guilt. <laughs> For me, that's been really important because I had felt guilty about the decision, and the decision was that my husband would have primary care of our son. Um, and at that time, mothers generally didn't make that choice, but he was the oldest of five children, and I was an only child, you know, from a rel- dysfunctional family, and I was thinking, I just don't have anything to give him. I don't want to separate him, you know, from this family. But I always thought I had this should in me, you know, that I should have done this. You know, mom should do this and and whatever. And so my sponsor said, gave me this advice about there's a statute of limitation on guilt. And that was 30 years after, you know, that decision had been made. I'd been carrying this about myself as not being good enough. Um, And it was interfering even with how I was interacting with children. You know, because I was pulling back. And I think it was so important because, and I also had a a minister who told me that guilt was worthless. You know, that it really is very self-centered. You know, it's a way of staying focused on me. You know, and it doesn't change anything. So it really helped me move on just to say, yeah. And, And just having that phrase gave me a way to key in and say, this is not working. And it doesn't change anything. And I could just be there. And I've talked to my son about it. And he's right. And he agrees with me. He says, no, Mom, you can't second guess things. You know? And it's, it's been wonderful. All right. Renish, you want to take one? Yeah. Why don't we both stand at the mic? We'll just take turns. Yeah. And there are some more questions for you. Um, first of all, I like this one. It says, what is OA 90 Day? OA 90 Day is... Um, you stay abstinent back-to-back for 90 days, and uh, you just come to the meeting, sit down, and listen. 
And um, you know, as they say, we take the cotton out of、uh, our ears and put it in our mouth and just listen. And uh, so uh, that is very helpful for me. And uh, also.、Um, After 90 days, you can be a speaker. You can share at the meetings, and、uh, some of the meeting after six month, you can be a sponsor. So it's very important when you have 90 days of abstinence, you can talk about hope and strength. And、um, you know, if I keep having relapse, how can I share about my hope and strength? And that has been very helpful for me to be in OA 90 day. Thank you. The question is: Talk more on the belief that I can't lose weight. For me, self-fulfilling prophecies are very important. You know, if I believe something is true, it's going to help make it come true. And so, if I had the belief that I can't lose weight, then what I did was I was proving to myself every day that I can't lose weight, and saying, "Yeah, see, I told you I can't lose weight." You know, and I was reinforcing that every day. Whereas, if I change that and say, "Of course I can," with God's help, you know, it doesn't mean that you give up the powerlessness because now I've gotten from HP. I mean, it has to be a miracle for someone who said, you know, they and who. Showed that she couldn't stay on a diet till noon to be abstinent for six years. To me, that's a walking miracle. Someone said once I was a poster child for abstinence, and that's because this belief has changed. And it doesn't mean me; it means allowing the power to work through me and the power of the program, because it takes all of it. But I had to let go of that self-fulfilling prophecy.、Uh, why do you read outside literature?、Uh, I think it says Hazelden.、Um, well, for me, from this program, I learned to have an open-minded. So, whatever it helps me to、uh, stay abstinent, to be in recovery, and have my emotional sobriety, I'll grab to those. And、uh, it doesn't matter if from this program. Or others,、uh, as I had some books like、uh, daily meditation from AA, and it helped me to stay abstinent. I read that, and、uh, Hazelton, it helped me,、uh, and to have my serenity, my recovery, I'll do that. So I have an open-minded about the books and literatures. Could you say more about stay within myself? I'm not sure exactly what I said about that. What I think I meant, or what I think this refers to, is that I have to be honest with myself. Like I can look around this convention, and there will be people here who eat moderate meals, who count calories, you know, who do all different kinds of food plans,、um, but they're not true for me. They're not what work for me, and so I meant the staying within. I think had more to do with being honest with myself about what was good for me and being able then to do that.、Um, so it comes down to honesty, and it has to do even with food plants because there are things that I could probably could eat、um, that I don't because there might be trigger foods for me, and they just are. Or now I can't drink any caffeine because of my heart. 
And that's, you know, lots of people can and I can't. So there's just an honesty about that. My body says, no, you can't do this now. A quick story about that, how God works in our lives to help us. I was in Washington, D.C. recently on vacation for a week, and we walked a lot. And I got really tired toward the end of the day. And I hadn't been having, you know, any caffeine, even decaf, you know, nothing. And I really wanted a cappuccino. <laughs> and so I thought, well, the, the doctor said I could have maybe one now, you know, after, maybe one decaf. And I thought, oh, well, but I thought I know myself better. Just one has never worked for me very well. So better not do that, right? But I got really tired, my, and I said, you know, I'd really like to have a cappuccino today. He said, fine, you know, there's a, a Whole Foods. We'll just stop and get one. So we went in, and we ordered it, and the lady said, I am so sorry. Our espresso machine is broken. <laughs> So it was like, okay, I'm a big kid. I can handle disappointment, right? So we left. And the next afternoon, we came back. Same story, long day. And we're on our way back to the hotel. And he said, well, would you like to try again today? I said, well, now that you mentioned, I really would. So we went in and I got up all cheery and said, I'd like a decaf cappuccino. And she said, I am so sorry. We are out of decaf. Soul foods, <laughs> but that was for me. That's HP working in my life, and that's the stain within myself is saying, "Okay, what's good for me, healthy for me, and God will help me do that." Uh, what can I do when uh, he's late at night and I'm uh, lonely and upset to stop myself from taking that first bite? Um, you know, there are some situations I want eat and sometimes I feel even hunger in my stomach and it is not time for me to eat and I start checking myself did I do the tools Uh, did I read uh, my literature did I write my letter to my higher power did I go to my meetings Uh, if it's possible can I do a phone meeting right now or in few hours and uh, also do outreach call you know calling others Uh, did I do all of those Um, if I did not do them I start doing them and after a few minutes I notice that temptation it's gone and especially meditation and prayer I need to connect with my higher power. When I feel lonely, when I feel bored, when I'm angry, I notice my connection with my higher power is very low. I need to uh, raise that um, connection um, better. So I start doing uh, even kneeling. I'm Zoroastrian. I'm not even Christian. And I kneel and sometimes that position helped me. Okay. Asking my higher power, you know, I need your help. Uh, and that helps me so much. And um, all of the tools and steps, there are the biggest reason it helps us and they don't put it there just for decoration there is a good reason for it and thank you i wanted to add something to that because i think that's really an important aspect we all come upon that you know when something calls to us in our old way of dealing with things the slogans were really important for me there was one abs- nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels and I must have said that a thousand times, you know, when a thought would come of something else. Or even even yesterday, I was watching a patriotic movie, and it was the middle of the afternoon, and it was warm, and, and my thought came to mind, wouldn't it be good to have something, you know, and I don't eat between meals, and I don't eat this stuff. And most of the time, I've got to tell you, I'm not hungry. 
you know, I have lots to eat and it's hard to get through all the food. But this time the thought came through, wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, going back to the past. And what I do is remember what I'd be giving up. You know, I like the way I am. I like I like my body, but I like the relationships. I like the program. I like the work that I do. And the trade-off is not worth it. It doesn't even compare. And then the thought goes away. It's like if I just don't act on it and I do something else and just remind myself of what the reality is, then it goes away. Do you have more questions? Oh, could you hand me those? I had one more in my hand, which was about the three time zones, past, present, and future. And what that meant was, in order to really be ready, we can't have a fantasy looking to the past of, gee, I lost all this weight before, I can do it again. When the reality is, yes, I may have lost weight before, but I didn't keep it off, or I wouldn't be here now. And the present is, I know I can't do it here. I have to hit bottom in the present. I've tried everything. If I knew another way to do this, I would have been doing it. And the future is, I don't think I can do it a different way in the future either. And if I continue to act the way I am now, the future is not going to get any better. So it's being clear about um, how I'm feeling so I can allow myself to change and submit to the the, the self-discipline and the things that come. I used to think self-discipline was a nasty word. Now I'm beginning to like it. Um, (laughs) How has doing affected your being? Oh, what a wonderful question. Um, My being is calmer. When I was married that other time, my nickname was Old Grizz. (laughs) Because I was so angry. I was on this slow boil all the time. And I'm just not like that now. You know, I am calm. I'm peaceful. I'm joyful. Um, And I was relatively happy when I came back to program. And now by doing, I've gotten to a whole different level of joy and elation. So the doing leads into the being changes. I can't think myself happy. I can't think myself thin. It has to come from doing. Maybe you need to help me to read some part of it. Uh, I I'm trying to get my 90 days abstinent back. I had previously been abstinent for two years. Uh, I keep losing my abstinent with only one or two bites extra or eating a very small amount amount of uh, uncommitted, Uncom- uncommitted. uncommitted food. Uh, what can I do? Um you know, after I had my first uh, relapse, I keep having two or uh, three relapses after that. And then I, uh, in that uh, notebook that I write a letter to my higher power, I started to write with red pen what I felt before OA, whatever I wanted to eat, you know. So uh, how, how was my feeling? And I wrote it down, you know, and about my physical, emotional, and spirituality. And I wrote down those. And then after OA, when I was absent, how I felt in a uh, green pen or blue (laughs) pen, you know, it, it is working for me. But when I wrote that, that helped me so much. So whenever I feel, huh, I wanna eat something, 
I went back and read those. And I said, I don't want to go back to those days. And if you saw my uh, album and that laminated picture, it helps me, especially when I go yeah, to um, all-you-can-eat buffet or restaurant. I have that one in my purse. I look at it, and it helps me to remind me how painful it was. Being overweight, physical pain, and emotional pain. And I never, never want to go back to those days. Thank you. Um, how long did it take you to find sobriety in your second 12-step program? And how did you find serenity in both programs? Um, sobriety started in that program as soon as I started. Um, I got a sponsor over there and started working the steps. So I've got 30, almost 36 years in the other program. Um, and it, it sort of ties, well, and the serenity came through working the steps. It just did. And also learning to ask for help. That was key for me. And, and learning to be honest with myself about how I was feeling and honest with other people. I was raised to be calm, cool, and poised under all circumstances. Which is, you know, someone also pointed out to me that that's sort of the death sign when you're in a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> So to be all right with the ups and downs. And, and my first sponsor in that other program, she, oh, I was objecting to all the feelings I was feeling as I was doing all of this. And she said, Lynn, if you didn't want to have feelings, you should have been born a rock. <laughs> it's sort of like, so just by showing up and being willing to hurt, that was the other thing I really had. I heard an expression once that said, if, if alcohol or food doesn't bring you to your knees, sobriety will. And that's the truth because <laughs> I didn't like to hurt, right? And so being absent, I had to be willing to hurt for a while. And then the joy that comes in that. So now the down, whatever down times they come are not nearly as down as they were before, you know, and the ups are even higher. It's such a joy. Okay. Um, how much weight did you lose and have you relapsed and what is your eating plan? So I've lost 116 pounds give or take. My weight fluctuates is a couple of pounds a month. Um, I weighed, came in at 233 and I weigh 119 now. Um, have I relapsed? Not in the last six years. You know, that's a real thank God. That's a miracle. And for me, it's easier to not relapse and just keep doing it. That's why one more thing is, is on the little things is when my skill says it's whatever, six ounces, it's six ounces. That, that grape gets cut in half and it just makes then I then I feel comfortable, and so staying comfortable in my abstinence and my skin is important. Okay. Uh, family pressure is extremely stressful. What do you think is the best way to explain to them that we have a disease? Well, um, for me, being overweight, my at first my husband. Uh, thought I'm going to meetings to see my friends gathering and having fun. And then when he saw me losing weight, he uh, and at that time, my children, they were middle school and uh, elementary school. And then when he saw the improvement in losing weight, uh, he asked me, okay, you go to your meeting, I'll take care of the children. <laughs> but um, it, 
after maintaining my weight, um, sometimes, you know, my husband had a hard time. Oh, you need to go to your meeting. Uh, yes, I need. And I said, you see nice person now, if you want me to be mean, uh, tell me, don't do this program. Don't go to the meetings. And so, uh, he, and he told me, uh, that you really change, change for good. And I said, that's, the reason I um, keep going to the meetings. And um, so I communicate better with my husband, which is toughest part for me because before that, I usually shove the food so I don't have a voice. And now going to also Coda Codependency Anonymous, uh, another 12 step, helping me to have a voice. And it is tough because uh, I don't want to communicate with others. I just want to show them. And, uh, you know, and usually uh, silence uh, treatment is the way I deal with my anger or instead of communicating but now I'm learning I'm learning to communicate communicate and for example yesterday I wanted to come to convention and my husband plan, uh, he said let's go um, somewhere like like Tahoe or somewhere I said you know this convention I'm really so excited to go they asked me to be speaker I want to go is that okay and he said you know I wanted to go you know, to Lake Tahoe for you. If you want to go to convention, I'm fine. So, oh, okay. But I felt guilty because he he wanted to go Lake Tahoe and I wanted to come here. But I tried to balance it. So yesterday we went to Capitola, Santa Cruz, and <laughs> together we were together. And then I came back. I came to convention. I, I was here at five o'clock late. But, uh, you know, I'm so glad I balanced it out. And, you know, I was okay. He was okay. And this morning when I came, I said, you know, um, I might come at 10 o'clock in the evening. I might come at uh, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I'm not sure. So uh, he was okay. And I need to communicate and uh, ask, you know, even with my children, my daughter is 18. My son is 22 years old, both graduated, uh, one from high school, one from uh, Cal Poly so <laughs> in June. So we are going through so much changes. But, you know, they know when mom says, she's not available, she's not. So I'm setting a boundary and limits and I need to take care of myself. I need to respect myself instead of getting angry at others. Oh, that person did not respect me, did not love me. How about me? Do I love me? Do I respect myself? So um, sometimes I ask that question instead of getting mad at others and I need to set a boundary. And it is toughest thing for addicts, uh, you know, set a boundary with others. Thank you. I wanted to add something to that response about <clears throat> achieving serenity in both programs because the big book does tell us to seek outside help when we need it. And over the last 35 years, I have checked in with therapists on various occasions to deal with some childhood issues, you know, um, and always with the support of my sponsors. And that's been very helpful in clarifying things. So for me, the, the program is... Um, seeking the resources that are necessary, you know, to help me grow and relying on, you know, the program on my higher power. Because when I've tried, to, I tried to do this program just relying on prayer alone, you know, without the program, and that didn't work so well, you know, and so I need all of it. Um, 
<clears throat> the program, the food plan, and all of the people that are within it. And someone did ask, what is your um, eating plan? In OA90, we get our eating plan from our sponsors. They're not, you know, something – they're not the same necessarily for everybody. They're sort of close. Um, so I, I won't give you the specifics, but just I eat, um, you know, cereal – well, and for me, for me, I drink almond milk because I'm not drink eating dairy either. My my plan has changed as I've gone on. Again, being good for what's my body, not for others. So, so basically, milk of some kind, um, cereal and fruit for breakfast, um, protein, vegetables, you know, like salad or something, and fruit for lunch, and meat, rice or you know some kind of grain, um, lots of vegetables again at dinner, and fruit. And I'm having more fruit now than when I was, you know, losing weight. Um, and I've had to adjust that with my sponsor. That was one thing. I would have been happy at 133 pounds. I thought losing 100 pounds would be just fine. But it turned out I have a very small body. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so that's been kind of fun. So I had to go along with, you know, what was going to be healthy for me. Anyway, hope that helped. Are there any other questions?